This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 50, with guest Vera Futaryansky. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to the show. Vera Futaryansky came to the Middle East back in 2015 as a founder at Rocket Internet. She has been leading global communications at the Dubai Future Foundation, launched by the Office of the Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates and was also Director of Innovation at 500 Startups. Today, Vera is the founder of a global strategic advisory firm, Veritas Ventures, and is currently building a supportive community for women. Alongside learning about the startup landscape in Dubai, in this episode, I really wanted to hear about Vera's upbringing, how she was continuously seeking otherness and diversity in her life. Vera shared about her past as a professional dancer and how she had to get back on her feet and start over in her life a couple of times. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. At Women Authors of Achievement, we launched our monthly newsletter, so make sure to sign up for that as well via waa.berlin. Warm, warm welcome to you, Vera, today, who landed freshly from Dubai. It's a great pleasure to welcome you in the studio here in Berlin and talk about your life, your dreams, and of course, Dubai startup ecosystem. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Vera, I know you have been living in 10 different countries and speak fluently five languages, right? Can you tell me about your upbringing and how you were finding your unique path in life? And as I know, it was quite a journey, so I would love to hear about that. Thank you. Well, quite a journey indeed. Um, where do I even start? I usually tell people how much time do you have when they ask me about where I'm from or my upbringing, because even the question where you're from, I find it so hard to define. Do we say the country we were born in? Do we say the country we own the passport of? Do we say where we live now? Do we mention our parents' heritage? I really feel I'm a, you know, a global citizen. The third culture kids I can totally identify with. Just because there's so much, you know, I was born in, in the ex-Soviet Union, which doesn't even exist anymore. So in a country now called uh, Kazakhstan, well, Kazakhstan back then as well, but it was part of a Soviet Union. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed, we moved to Germany. So I grew up in Germany, went to high school in the U.S., then came back to Germany to finish the abitur, um, then took a gap year and lived in Spain, and then, you know, decided to study. And actually, before I decided to study, I found the tango for me. So I went to live in Argentina and... Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then in between, also a bit of New Zealand and China. I'm counting. Yeah, I'm counting. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very uh, diverse upbringing. But I think this, this really, even though, you know, maybe looking backwards, you think, wow, it was stressful to move to so many countries. But uh, it really made me who I am. And I... I think I love and appreciate the diversity so much because of having gone through mm -hmm. so many different cultures myself. Mm -hmm. And what do you think was driving you forward, like in finding your place? Because I think this is also one of the reasons maybe that you were exploring what that you were looking, uh, what was you were after? Well, you know, the big moment was when uh, I went to the US. So we moved to Germany. That was already, wow, you know, I was 11, almost 12. And we came to Germany, you know, from Kazakhstan, where we really didn't have much. And suddenly we moved to Germany and uh, so many colors and so many, you know, things in the store. You know, I remember empty shelves from when I was growing up and suddenly we moved to a place where shelves are full and almost breaking from so much stuff on them. And uh, that was already very exciting. And then 
Well, I, I learned German. I didn't speak any German then. I really was a very good student back then, learning, you know, studying hard. Um, very likely to have had good teachers who invested in me as well. And I won a scholarship to go to the U.S., which was a scholarship back then by the German uh, Bundestag and the U.S. Senate. And they uh, send you where they think is the real American life. So they don't let you choose. If I would have the choice, I would have chosen, you know, New York, Miami, San Francisco, or even Chicago. Right. They don't let you choose where because you they, they send you where they think is the real American life. So they sent me, was, there was no email. I received a letter. I remember opening up the letter, the envelope, taking out. And I was like, no, no, everywhere but not there. <laughs> it was Texas. Texas. Well, that's exciting. Today, Austin, well, Texas. Well, today is exciting. But, right. you know, in 1997, it was not as exciting <laughs> as it is now. So they sent me not even to like Austin, but in the middle of nowhere, funny enough, to Odessa, Texas. Oh, wow. So Odessa, Texas, you know, from like back then, Ukrainians who moved, they named it Odessa. So it was, you know, it was interesting parallels. So they sent me to Odessa, Texas. And um, even though at first I was like, oh, my gosh, why? I must say it was such a defining year. It really opened my eyes to there's so much more in the world to see. Mm-hmm. I remember before going to the U.S., I always wanted to become a lawyer. My whole mm-hmm. family spoke already. You know, we have a lawyer in the family and I haven't even graduated from high school yet, but it was like done deal, Vera is going to be a lawyer. And I came to the US and I'm like, no, I'm not ready to study, you know, German law and be in Germany for the rest of my life. I want mm-hmm. to explore the world. So really the US was this defining moment of realizing I want to see as much of the world as I can. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you were mentioning, like previously we were talking and you mentioned this word otherness and that you were seeking it as well as diversity and I was curious because different people would define it differently and I was curious to understand what was that otherness for you and despite you know growing up in Germany which was already new and diverse going to going to the states traveling why you continue seeking this and was there points in your life where you've actually found it and connected somehow locally I think if we really open our eyes, hearts and minds, we see otherness all around us. Sometimes we just don't want to perceive it or to accept it, or we just stay in our bubbles because it's so familiar and close. But but the moment you get out of the comfort zone, you really see otherness. And otherness can be other people, it can be other things you don't know yet. So it's it's the diversity. And I, I remember speaking to my grandmother just this summer, in fact, we sat down, it was my cousin's birthday. And we spoke about her upbringing, and she grew up on the border to Uzbekistan. And she said back then they had lots of different nationalities living. She said, I remember going to the market, and there were women, you know, covered completely, like you see now in Afghanistan, for example. There were uh, Greek women and Polish and Kazakh and Uzbek and Russian and Ukrainian all living together. Mm -hmm. And nobody questioned the otherness. Like, it was just accepted. And this is where I would love to get to, you know, that we just accept each other as we are, you know, like this, to develop the strong tolerance of otherness is there, but it's good for us. Imagine we will all be equal. How boring would that world be if it would be all equal? There's nothing to Mm -hmm. learn from each other. So I actively seek otherness because I think um, it's when we put ourselves in that position and we actively listen, listen to opinions of others that we don't necessarily agree with is what makes us grow, you know, to have this growth mindset is to put yourself out there to to be with otherness, you know, with the hope that one day you wouldn't even like notice that it's, you know, otherness, but just see it as as, as one. As as one, you right. know. We're different, but we're, you know, we're much more alike than we're different no matter where we go. And I saw that much more when I started going to Saudi Arabia. 
I remember before I went to Saudi Arabia first time, everybody was like, oh my gosh, are you sure you're going to Saudi Arabia alone as a woman, woman, a Western woman? Are you not afraid? I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. Why? You know, why would we be afraid? That'd be, there were women before me who went there. I'm not like the first explorer, you know, <laughs> like there were others. So I went and I must say, I really enjoy going to Saudi Arabia, as crazy as it sounds, maybe to some people who are listening. But it's this feeling of, I actually have some good Saudi girlfriends by now. And, you know, we are so similar. Like I, I'm probably more similar with some of my Saudi girlfriends who are either, you know, build startups or work in one of them is in the Ministry of Culture. They recently had a Biennale in Riyadh and not many people know about it. There was the first Biennale happening in Saudi Arabia in February. I was there. In fact, this bag I have with me is from the Biennale. And it was quite open-minded as well. They had uh, like uh, constructed paintings or pieces of art with like wine bottles. And there were some gay movements aspects in certain paintings. So it was very open-minded, not at all what you would expect of Saudi Arabia. So things are changing, but, you know, it's, we need to go there. We need to expose ourselves to that to really see it because what we see in the media many times is not really what the truth really is, you mm -hmm. know? So I, I feel like it's, we need to expose ourselves and to I that. And I like that you have such an open mindset for that, right? You consciously make that decision wherever you go to be open-minded and just be one maybe with that culture and explore it. And I think that also is interesting that you manifested that and that you actually ended up living in Middle East. It is almost like your lifelong manifestation that happened, right? Yeah, well, I don't know if it's a lifelong manifestation, but I write a journal always and I remember Dubai happened and I'll tell you in a minute how it happened. But then I remember reading a journal I wrote three years prior and I wrote down that like manifestation I think I would like to live in Dubai. I wasn't even sure, but I wrote it down and boom, three years later, it actually happened. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Before we're going to talk about it, I also wanted to ask you about your path and a career as a professional dancer in you were dancing Argentinian tango. That's, yeah. uh, that's a very beautiful dance. And I can, yeah. you know, you have to tell me more about that. <laughs> For how long have you been doing it? Like, how is it like to have it as part of your life, but also... Yeah. You stopped uh, pursuing kind of that path, right? Tell me more. Yeah. Well, tango is still the biggest passion in life. I really, I love it. I That's mean, good it's to just, hear. It, it really warms my heart. And it just, I think I'm the happiest when I dance. And I stopped, unfortunately, because I had an accident. I could not continue. So it was not uh, just a conscious kind of decision that I made. It was, um, well, no, that path was closed. I'm still able to dance, but I had to take a two years break. But I'll tell you how it started. It actually started when I took a gap year. So from graduating in high school in the U.S., I came back to do the abitur in um, in Hamburg. And then I felt like I'm not ready to just go to university and study law, which I didn't want to do anyway anymore after coming from the U.S. So I'm like, but I don't know yet what to do. It wasn't as open yet as it is now. You know, the Internet had just begun. We just started sending emails. It wasn't like, let me Google, you know, and, and ask There was no Facebook. I couldn't even ask what other people are studying elsewhere in the world. So I took a gap year. I went to Salamanca. I studied Spanish for six months at the university. And then I felt, okay, six months, great, but let me stay a little bit longer to really, you know, make sure it's, it's, it becomes really fluent. So mm -hmm. I went to Barcelona. And in Barcelona, I found a flatmate. That flatmate one day organized a private surprise party for one of his friends. And there people danced tango. And I was like, Wow, it was the first time I saw people dance tango. The tango music I loved. My mom actually told me later on that as a child, I would take the 
the big um, vinyl, you know, those the right. disc, yeah. uh, how do you call them? You Vin- know, the, vinyl disc. Vinyl, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, vinyl disc. And I would, you know, put the chair, put it up, you know, at home back down in Kazakhstan. I would play a Russian tango. It was my favorite song, funny enough. When you I was see, like, there was a connection. There was right? a connection. It was already <laughs> there somewhere brewing inside of me. So um, I saw two people dance tango and I was just, oh my gosh, I want to try this. This is so beautiful. And I remember my first class was given to me by a gay couple, two Spanish guys in Barcelona on the terrace. And there was a beautiful clear night, full moon. There were fireworks in the background. And I did my first tango steps. And Daria really, I fell in love with tango. I was like, this is it. I love it so much. And they took me to the first milonga. Milonga, we call the place when you get together. You have a tango DJ. He puts tango music on or she and you dance. So we call those gatherings milongas. So um, they took me to a first milonga after my first class. And somebody came to me and said, do you want to dance? And I'm like, no, I can't dance. I just had one class. And he said, come, just close your eyes and follow. Wow. And it was so beautiful. It was just, I, like I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's been 20 or two years ago. It was 22 years ago, and I still remember very vividly. And turns out he was actually the tango teacher of uh, Barcelona. And, and we had, you know, a love story. He fell in love with me. I fell in love with the tango. And we were just, you know, and I learned tango from him. So that's how I started dancing tango. And I loved it ever since. I went to live in Buenos Aires just to dance for six months. I just danced. And that's a big passion. It taught me a lot. You know, tango really teaches you or any dance. You fall so many times, you're hurt, but you have to continue. You know, it really teaches you perseverance. It teaches you, you know, to get up no matter how many times you fall. So tango has influenced me, not just in this passion and creativity and maybe even femininity, but it really also influences you and teaches you a lot of the um, grit and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine until you have that flow that we see there's a lot of hard work um, in place. So this is this looks easy and you think of, oh, let me just go on the floor and see yeah. how, how this flows. But I can imagine it's a tough dance that requires a lot of discipline. It's discipline, but it also requires heart. With tango, you dance, it's almost like energetic. You dance with your soul. You know, in many other dances, you just learn the steps and you do one, two, three, one, two, three, you know, like <laughs> depending on the dance. But in tango, it's not always the same dance. Even if you would go to a place and watch people dance, it's the same music, but people move differently Mm -hmm. just because everybody hears the music differently. Some move faster, some move slower. So tango is a lot of, it's a connection. You really have to establish this connection with the partner you dance with. It's super important. Uh, The man is there to really kind of make the woman feel, I'm here for you, you know, like show, I want to show you to the world. So it's really about the sort of respect as well. And I used to teach, so I danced professionally for a while and I used to teach tango as well. And I still bump into my students sometimes. And that's like, I feel one of the impacts I left on this world is I actually taught some people how to dance tango and they're grateful and they still dance. Wow. But I remember it was very hard for some women because in tango, usually I have very educated and very, you know, quite established women, professors, doctors, teachers. And for a woman to let go and let a man lead you can be quite tough. But that's something you learn in tango. You know, you learn you learn to let go, you follow, but then at the same time, it's it's the woman who makes the dance much more beautiful. So it's it's a it's a play. You like you play together. You have to learn this. this Vera, how kind you of talk about it? I just I have <laughs> this picture. I, first of all, I want to go dancing. Second of all, I have this whole picture in front of me, and the music is coming into my ears. I think it's a it's now on my list of something I want to learn. Well, um, you know, Al Pacino, the scent uh, of a woman, that movie. I mean, if somebody watches that movie and doesn't want to go dance, 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. Oh, I have goosebumps. I, I could have talked to you about Argentinian tango. I feel like it's a separate episode. <laughs> But Vera, back to your, you know, your time and your start of your founder career in Middle East, actually, in 2015, where you also were part of the Rocket Internet's tech ventures. And frankly, was the first and the only female founder there, right? That was my act two in life, you could say, <laughs> you know, after the dancing career was unfortunately over sooner than I hoped. I felt okay. And, and that was a tough time, you know, to get over it, to like kind of say to oneself, well, I'm only 26, life isn't over. You need to kind of get yourself together and just start over again. So what could it be? And I decided I'd like to study political science because after that, it's really, it's open. So I went to university in London. Then I first went to work as a consultant in the European Union, which was great, but, you know, to quite slow to get, you know, all the 27 member states to agree on something just takes time. I don't know if it's 27 or 26 now after Brexit, but anyhow, 20 something. And so I remember I saw on Twitter that Rocket Internet were looking for a person to run the global comms for their venture called Food Panda mm -hmm. back that's, then. That's where the internet comes into place. Exactly. The, <laughs> on internet, Twitter, the internet was there already. Yeah. So that, the, was, that was a few years social, later. The social media comes <laughs> into place where you were like, before with the tango, you had to find it yourself. And here you were like, on Twitter, I see Rome. Exactly. See, I mean, isn't it amazing that in our lifetime, technology evolved so much? I mean, it's exponential. You and I, I mean, I don't know about you, a bit younger, but I remember, you know, seeing my first cassette and like turning the cassette with a pencil. I mean, who does it nowadays? You know, like, and then now I'm sitting here, you know, with like iPad, iPhone, it's amazing. And who knows what's next? I really, that's, I mean, a bit side note, but I really want to live long because I want to see what's going to happen with the future. I'm so optimistic for the future. I think there are so many great things to come. So I want to, I want to live long to be able to see that. But yeah, back to your question on Rocket Internet. So yeah, so I decided after three years in Brussels, I'm moving to Berlin, I'm going into tech. And I thought if I want to go into the tech field, where to go, Rocket Internet at that time, it was 2013, uh, was really the, the main player in the Berlin ecosystem. And I mean, having said that, of course, culture is totally debatable, you know, back then and probably even now still. But um, if you wanted to be with a big tech player, Rocket Internet was it. So I moved to Berlin, joined Food Panda. After two months, Food Panda was the the best performing venture in PR and comms globally. So the HQ actually said, we want to hire you away from a venture for the HQ so you can lead our global communications for the upcoming IPO. So I joined HQ and I um, was in charge of Latin America, Middle East and Asia Pacific for global comms, mm -hmm. you know, for the, the IPO. To, um, what is it now? Eight, maybe nine years ago. I don't remember mm -hmm. exactly. And um, so I did that. And after the IPO, I said, look, I'm, I actually really want to be a founder myself now. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm done with comms. It was great. I know I can do it, but I learned all I can learn in the comms space. I need to learn something new. And uh, but I didn't fit the profile. And the profile is, as you probably know, you know, a young uh, male with a consulting experience in a good university. And there I was with a good university. I went to LSE, consulting experience, three years. But I wasn't a young male, you know, not not a young white male, not even like young white female, really. But so, yeah, so it was tough. And I said, like, send me anywhere. I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm ready to go anywhere. And they said, well, we need somebody, an entrepreneur in residence to help us launch a venture in Dubai. And I was Helpling back then. So I said, yes, I'll go. And uh, that's how I came to Dubai to help launch Helpling uh, for four months. And four months, you know, now eight years later, 
So I helped launch HealthLink, and during those four months, I said, look, there's an opportunity for a beauty venture. And I knew that Rocket were building something similar in Brazil. So I said, let's share the IT resources. That was quite common back then. You share the IT resources, and you build it in many countries, and you, you know, scale quickly. So I said, let's do that. I'll do it for you in the Middle East, in Dubai, and um, against you know a lot of men who didn't want, obviously, for this to happen with the support of a couple or maybe just one, you know, guy back then, uh, the CEO of the Middle East and um, Rocket Middle East, uh, he actually said, okay, no, let's do it. And and that's how I became the the only female founder for Rocket Internet in the Middle East back then. That means you, you arrived and you actually felt good there, right? You felt like you wanted to stay there longer and start your founding career there. What attracted you to Middle East, to Dubai uh, from the start? Dubai is so diverse. And I think this is my upbringing of constantly wanting diversity in my life and being mm -hmm. so curious about other people. I think this is it, what I love about Dubai so much. You know, so you saw that and you felt attracted and you thought like, okay, here is the place for me to be, at yeah. least for now. Yeah. But, but even as a female founder, you thought it was the right place. Mm, you know, maybe I didn't think from a female founder perspective. Mm -hmm. I just thought from a kind of human perspective. It's mm -hmm. so diverse. I love this diversity. You know, when we would have dinner there, you would have Indian, German, American, Bangladeshi, Australian, you know, sitting next to each other at a table. So it's very diverse. But, it, you know, also not just diversity. Dubai was at the time of you could feel the energy, the drive for innovation. It was, I was there really at the perfect time where Dubai decided we want to invest into entrepreneurship and innovation. So it was mm -hmm. perfect time, perfect place. I'm really happy I was there at that time and stayed and had my, let's say, tech career there. After that, you have been leading global communications at the Dubai Future Foundation. And later on, you took a role as the director of innovation at 500 Startups. How did you also see Dubai evolving, maybe from your words, in the last years as an innovation center? Dubai evolved a lot mm -hmm. in the seven and a half years I've been there. And um, I remember just recently I was on a panel and um, editor of the entrepreneur magazine Middle East asked me, so Vera, you've been in the ecosystem pretty much from the beginning. It's a very nascent ecosystem. Eight years ago, there was hardly anything And he asked me exactly that question, what has changed? And I told him, I remember as a founder back then, of it was called Vanny Day, this beauty app that I had built back then uh, with my team. I remember I was on a panel and I spoke to a room full of men. It was just men in the audience. And now, a few months ago, when I was on a panel, I looked at him and I said, look at this room. The room was 50% women. And this is how it It's has impressive. evolved. Dubai has a lot of female founders and they're just not, they're not from Dubai. You have this diversity pretty much. Dubai is the epicenter for the Middle East for all the entrepreneurs. So you have Egyptians, Jordanians, you know, Bahraini, uh, you name it. They all come to Dubai. Dubai mm -hmm. really is the center where a lot of people come together, but not just from the region. You have a lot of, I mean, especially recently, a lot of crypto people moved to Dubai. I mean, that was a big move during the pandemic also because Dubai remained quite open. So a lot of Europeans uh, and, well, Rich Europeans, crypto people, and now, of course, a lot of Russians. So Dubai is, is open, you know, and, and takes uh, takes a lot of people. So it's um, it's a, it's a big epicenter in the region for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So it has evolved a lot. That's on the entrepreneurship side. But Dubai itself, and I find it's quite striking, amazing. And I don't have any other example in the world where that has happened. But imagine 50 years ago, there were no paved roads. People had to drive in the desert. 50 years ago, no paved roads. And now, last year, they sent a mission to Mars. 
I mean, which country or which city has had such an evolution? So that's Incredible. that's pretty impressive from the whole kind of, yes, we believe in innovation, we want to make it happen. I mean, of course, it's uh, sometimes easier to lead a country when you only have one person deciding. You know, when Sheikh Mohammed says we want to do that, nobody really argues against, you know, so it, it just gets done. And that's why I really enjoyed working for the government. I was part of the team that built the Bifuture Accelerators, which is the largest government accelerator in the world. We would bring a lot of innovative companies to Dubai and pair them with different government departments to accelerate innovation. And it was amazing because, first of all, I mean, it was very fast moving and I really love fast pace. But second, there was no issue with budget. The budget was there. Just like, how much do you need? Here, make it happen. And uh, I don't think that would be the case in many other countries. I remember coming to Germany and I'm like, you know, I feel part German. I really want to give back. Let me help. Let's do something. And I was told by people, well, you know, it would take years for us to even make a decision on something. So, Vera, before we talk actually about your very exciting new project venture, just to close up on UAE and Dubai, what is something exciting that's coming in the future? What you're looking forward to? Maybe projects, maybe events, maybe initiatives that are happening in the region that you would say, okay, this is really a highlight, a milestone for us. I think the recent changes in Saudi Arabia are quite impressive. You know, since I've been going there for the last, what is it, maybe four years, five years, women were allowed to drive. Uh, the whole dress code changed. The first time I went, I had to cover my hair. Now I don't have to cover my hair. I still wear an abaya just, you know, out of respect and also because I think it looks really elegant. But I really see how women become more and more empowered. And in general, some of the most empowered women I met were Saudi women. So that's against all the cliches we actually have in the world. So I think Saudi Arabia is really interesting. I'll be keeping an eye uh, on the region and tourism will be picking up. They just opened for tourists right before Corona, unfortunately. Uh, then Corona happened and it, tourists weren't able to see Saudi Arabia, but it's so untouched. I really think this is an interesting place to explore. And for UAE, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, of course, there are other five Emirates as well, but especially Dubai and Abu Dhabi, they continue investing in innovation. And Dubai has this whole blockchain strategy that I briefly mentioned before. They want to become a paperless government, you know, all government transactions on blockchain. Super interesting. Abu Dhabi is uh, doing a lot on the entrepreneurship side, uh, setting up innovation centers. There's really a lot happening. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You spoke about, region. about things developing for women. So as a woman, if I would arrive there and I would like to connect, to explore, to learn from the local entrepreneurs, from the local garment, from the local investors. So basically touching with the ecosystem in whether it's uh, UAE or Saudi, where should I go? And there are lots of co-working places, for example, you can start there. Great. <laughs> or lots of online communities, you know, you just Google entrepreneurs, Dubai and so much comes up or you go to a local accelerator. For example, I was part of the team who launched the 500 accelerator in Riyadh. It's still up and running, so you could just go and visit an accelerator. There's also Techstars in Riyadh and in, in Abu Dhabi. So, and it's very open. You can really just walk in and like meet people. People are very open to meet other people, especially from, you know, Europe or US. I love very how you're making it so accessible, so open. <laughs> we need to have more of those conversations. So I love that you're bringing this up. You have been spending a lot of time in Germany lately. Yes. And the reason being is I heard you have been building a community for women who are givers in their nature, but they don't necessarily receive something themselves or they don't necessarily ask for it. So can you tell me, why did you felt like right now, after having all those experiences, after building up things, you felt that this is the right time to set this community 
and what's the purpose of it? I'm super, super curious to <laughs> learn about it. Yeah, thank you so much for asking about it because this is now my biggest passion project. I don't know if it can ever, you know, replace my passion or be the same passion as I have for tango, but this is really the biggest passion. <laughs> wow, this is, this is big. Now we're talking. <laughs> if it's competing with tango after all well, you said, I, maybe, now we're maybe, talking. Maybe not there yet, but hopefully one day. I really hope that with this community and building that I will leave an impact on the world and that will impact many, many lives, you know, not just of this woman, but also of all the people around them. So what I'm building is a community for for the segment of strong women who, you know, always give, inspire, mentor, but rarely have an opportunity where they are being, you know, where they receive, where they are inspired, just because they are the strong women and everybody thinks strong women don't need support. And I've been talking to so many women during the pandemic and um, and this has been coming up, you know, where women were saying, you know, I'm burned out because I, you know, I, I, I mentor so much or I'm being, you know, asked all this and I don't know where to go to actually recharge again. And I found myself burnt out last year too from, you know, mentoring mostly and just giving where I just felt my glass was so empty and I'm like, wow, I need to recharge. And for me, usually it's, I tap into spirituality. So I just went on a one-way ticket to Costa Rica and, you know, was meditating, mantra chanting and being in nature. So I found my way of recharging, but I can only imagine that so many women don't really know how to recharge and they're seeking those um, communities. And yeah, I really want to build this community. It's like a safe space for women. I really want women to be able to be, you know, vulnerable in that space, to be able to open up, to be among equals. In fact, I want to write a manifesto that would say there's no pitching allowed, no mentoring, no, I mean, they can do mentoring on the side if they want, but preferably they're in that space. One day I want to have a physical space, like a Soho house for women eventually, Ooh. but for now it will be <laughs> digital, that they can feel, I can put off this strong woman shield I have to carry all the time and I can just be myself among equals and I can just be there and not feeling that any moment somebody will want something from me, you know, that somebody will pitch something to me. I can just be among equals and be vulnerable, be there. You know, I really would love for us to elevate the strong woman because if you elevate the strong woman, if they feel that somebody who has their back, there's a community behind them, oof, those women will change the world and they will elevate so many more women and men behind them as well. It's really about giving more support to the already strong women, mm -hmm. but who nobody looks at. When is it coming to, to live? When, oh. what are the dates? Well, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I realized after having built a startup, you know, building an app is you do a lot of sales, you do marketing and you launch it and it's done, you know, or you, the product has to work. But building a community, it's built on trust. You know, so building a community takes time. It's something that I, you know, I, I said, I'm, I was building a VC fund in the well-being space and then this idea came up and I'm like, okay, I know I'm committing myself for at least five years of my life, maybe 10, maybe forever. You know, this is, this will take time. So I want to take it slow. I want to make it sustainable. I want to, you know, make sure this is a community where women really will be able to be vulnerable mm -hmm. because, you know, out of vulnerability comes strength as well. If we can be vulnerable, if we can be among other women who are, you know, who feel the same, who makes us, make us feel we belong here. You know, it's mm -hmm. the word belonging, the word belonging that I feel is so important. You know, when we know where we belong, that we are among others who support us, mm -hmm. this gives so much strength. So how this community will exist? You said digitally. How can women be vulnerable and open to each other in a digital space? Like, how do you envision this? 
I mean, I want to have in-person gatherings. I mean, you can't be digital on Zoom. You know, I remember when I was in Costa Rica, I met a, a girl who did, first I did a, before the meditation retreat, I did a longevity retreat. And we met at the longevity retreat. And every morning we were skinny dipping at sunrise. <laughs> and one day I told her, no Zoom call can ever replace skinny dipping at sunrise. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't do that. You know, you can't connect on Zoom. I mean, that's why you and I are here in person, right? I mean, exactly. we wouldn't be able to do this on Zoom. So it will be an app, but I want to have, you know, monthly local in-person events, maybe quarterly regional and then two global events a year. So there will be in-person gatherings as well. But in order to maintain kind of, you know, to have a membership directory, to have an events calendar, there'll be a digital function to it as well. But I mean, eventually it should be in-person gatherings. I'd love the woman to come to an event and walk away not saying, you know, I found a business connection, but actually I made a friend today. I found my community. So if I can reach that goal, then really, I feel like I have lived a fulfilled life. <laughs> I can imagine. Wow, it sounds, sounds exciting. So I'll keep my keep my eyes and ears yeah, open for it, that. It will be called Beyond. I can share that much. So beyond. I love the word Beyond because it's so rich. It's like beyond, you know, beyond the horizon, beyond the ordinary it's just so vast and deep and rich it just gives you so many opportunities that you don't even know exist so it's you know go beyond <laughs> here it is beyond everyone is will stay tuned for that one vera before i come to one of my last questions you mentioned spirituality a couple of times mm. and i wanted to understand you know how do you connect that spirituality and what makes you happy i start every day with a grounding practice It's a really big part of my life. I can feel if I don't meditate, I feel like, oh no, I need to meditate in order for it to be a really good day. So I try, even if it's a, you know, five minute meditation, if I have time, it's, it's a, usually a 50 minute practice in the morning and it helps me be calm, you know, it helps me to really see more clearly where I'm headed in my professional life. So I just, I cannot imagine my professional life without meditation anymore. I did my yoga training back then, maybe nine or 10 years ago. And that's when I started really, you know, believing in meditation and breath work. I think breath work is really essential as well. So it's a big, big part of my life and it helps me to stay grounded. It helps me to stay connected to myself, really. And I think what I realized, it made me not just more aware, but more intentional in my decision making as well. So if it's about decisions at work, for example, even now I'm hiring a team for what I'm building. I tap into my intuition a lot for those people. I don't... The other day I was uh, talking to my brother and I said, I'm interviewing a COO. And he said, so do you have a case study for her? I'm like, no, I don't have a case study for her. I, I will listen to her. I want her to speak, you know, I want us to open up to each other. I want to understand what her passion is, whether she see herself, do we align on our values? That's much more important to me. And in order to make a decision, I'll tap into my intuition and um, and decide on that because... Yeah, I think uh, nobody who you know would apply for a CEO position without actually being qualified. I love that maybe, approach. Maybe I'm, I'm too optimistic, you know, I might be wrong, but um, yeah. Why not? But, you know, I love that you brought this up and I wanted to ask you because I did, before the podcast, watch a couple of panels you moderated and I also just observe how you write and how you communicate and you also seem like a very, as you said, calm intuitive but also humble leader yet being Thank so you. successful and known in Saudi UAE especially that part but also globally as a public figure 
and as a leader. And I thought that's uh, sometimes a very rare characteristic because a lot of people tend to maybe run and chase and take a lot of things on their plate. And probably you do, but there's also some kind of purposefulness in things you do and how you communicate with people. And that's the answer to that. Your your other side, your other maybe heart, uh, which connects to meditation and spirituality. So, yeah. And, you know, Daria, I also think it's because I actually, I wouldn't have time on this podcast to talk about, you know, all that. But I went through so much, how can I say it nicely, shit in my life, you know, which made me actually see people as equal. And I think all the career advancements, they're all titles. I don't really feel that... I mean, it's great from the learning perspective. I'm grateful for the opportunities I had to really learn about those things. But I'm really grateful to myself as well that I remained on the kind of ground. It didn't take me up, you know, kind of on a different level in terms of me thinking different about people. And I think it's this seeing everybody as equal, no matter who it is. You know, two days ago, I went to the Coldplay concert with my boyfriend. And then on the way in the S-Bahn, there was a guy sitting in front of us and I just asked him, I'm like, are you from Bahrain? You know, I mean, I can recognize, you know, I've, I've lived in the region long enough. And he's like, yes, how did you know? And I'm like, well, you know, you look like one. And we started a conversation and it's so about nice. seeing him as equal as you probably saw, you know, the panel with Sadhguru and Deepak Chopra moderated in Davos. And it's about seeing everybody, we're all human beings after all, you know, so it's not, I just try to see, you know, myself equal to everybody I speak to. And I think that's, um, kind of helps me to stay humble and friendly. <laughs> That's a key lesson to, you know, keep in mind and I think keep inspired and grounded going forward. Vera, the question that I love asking at the end of the conversation, which I unfortunate that it's coming to an end, but it's a wrap for now. And then let's see where we see each other in the future again. But the question which I love asking as it highlights role model and a woman author of achievement of my guest. Mm -hmm. And uh, my question is, who is that woman for you? Yeah, another very good question. And you know, I thought about it a lot. And, and I could name many women, but really deep in my heart, I do come back to my grandmother, you know, both of them, but I'd like to point one of them. And she gave me this feeling of not being afraid to start over. You know, when we moved to Germany, she was, she must have been like 50, you know, still quite young. And she used to work in the government in our local city before we moved. And when we moved to Germany, obviously, none of that, you know, was accepted. She couldn't just, you know, work in the government, obviously. So she just took a job to work in an elderly home to wash old men and women, you know, and to feed them. I remember I was so, I admired it so much. I was like, wow, that she put aside her ego from being this highly regarded politician who everybody knew in the city to just go and wash old people and feed them. And I was like, wow, this was, I mean, every time I think about it, it still gives me goosebumps that she put away the ego. She was not afraid to start over. She said, no, this is, you know, this is maybe my second act now, a third act. I'm going to do that. And, and that really gave me, this rooted in me, I think, this flexibility of mind that, and, and this belief I can start over, you know, no matter what happens to me, there's, you know, a second chance. So my grandma, but also, you know, maybe from me saying second act, third act, it made me made you think of Jane Fonda. I think Jane Fonda is also really, really amazing and impressive. And I love what she talks about, you know, her third act now being an activist. And in fact, I listened to a TED talk of her recently called Third Act. And she said, the older woman is the largest demographic in the world, which is so interesting, but nobody looks at that demographic. And I was like, this is another validation for the network I'm building. Because 
the women, you know, who are above 50, they are not done with their lives, will live until 90 or 100 nowadays. What happens to those women? We don't have, we have nothing for them. We have no networks for them to go to, no places to go to. So, you know, I, I'm more committed now to build this network because there are so many amazing women. We don't talk about them enough, you know, and it's, I really would love with this, with what I'm building to highlight those women much more. Not just build a community for them to have girlfriends, but also bring those women on paid boards. You know, we have way more men on paid boards than women, you know, and it's, it's one of the things I'd like to change with uh, beyond as well, that we have more women on, on paid boards and not just on social enterprise boards. Wow. Amazing. Vera, this is amazing. I mean, both uh, kudos to your amazing grandmother. That's it. You know, don't be afraid to start over. And there's always could be a second, third act yeah. as you go forward. And also Jane Fonda. I mean, who, who doesn't love her? Right. But I, I mean, <laughs> she is amazing. And she's done so much in her life. And it's yeah. it's so bright, so passionate, so enthusiastic. I think that's that's what we should remind ourselves oh. when we feel down. It's like, hey, if she is doing it and she has energy for everything. Exactly. She, right? So should we, right? Yeah. So let's <laughs> just derive it from somewhere. Vera, thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, coming all the way from Dubai. I know you're, I mean, in Germany, in Berlin quite often, but nonetheless, you know, that we managed to synchronize our calendars and make this happen. Thank you for sharing about the startup landscape in Dubai, you know, talking about your upbringing, talking about how you were seeking the otherness and diversity in your life, about your role models, about the community you're building. Before we go, there's something I would like to, to quote on otherness uh, that I read recently that really inspired me. And actually, it's something that made me closer to my roots and actually realize why, you know, what it is with otherness. I read something by a professor from Columbia University called Rafis Abazov, and he said that the traits of a nomadic life are cultural curiosity and tolerance. And I've been a nomad for the past 12 years. I don't even have an apartment anymore. I know you said I come from Dubai, but I actually put everything in storage a year ago. And now I live a nomadic life. And I, I realized, you know, maybe born in Kazakhstan and Kazakhs are no nomads. Maybe that's just, you know, my life. So here, drawing from Kazakh nomads, he points out how nomadic societies have prioritized cultural and social dimensions and only subsequently incorporate the economic aspects. The nomad's cultural curiosity about otherness and learning new skills and technologies comes naturally, given the constant flow of new people and sensations they expose themselves to. It's a high tolerance toward differences in religion, language, dress, God status, and many other issues. They embrace a kind of existential fluidity. Nomadism is also a way of thinking about the world around oneself, about circles of life, about interactions with Mother Nature and the never-ending movement of the human soul. I think this is so beautiful and I really hope this inspires others to be more tolerant and to really accept the otherness because it's just, you know, it's the flow of life. Vera, thank you so much. I mean, look at that. Even I get, I I get, I get, I get a quote. You definitely uh, got very prepared. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and I'm wishing you a fantastic day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.